from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. When the court makes very strong and bold statements, um, that's uh, something to pay attention to because it's a rare form for any court to make very strong declarative statements of that nature. Looking for strong logic in this legislation, I think, is a fool's errand. This was really a politically motivated attack on a group of folks that often advocate and frankly point out when uh, the state legislature is not doing its job. I'm Sarah Fenske. Three years ago this week, Eric Greitens resigned as governor of the state of Missouri. But on his final day, June 1st, 2018, he signed a flurry of bills into law, 77 of them, in fact. One of them was House Bill 1413. Supporters called it a Paycheck Protection Act. Critics said it was anti-union discrimination. Now this week, the Missouri Supreme Court weighed in. The court agreed with two lower courts who had blocked the law, and the Missouri Supreme Court struck it down entirely. And joining us today to explain why is Mark Jones. He's the communications director for the Missouri National Education Association. Mark, welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So, Mark, the Missouri Supreme Court said this law that was signed by then-Governor Greitens, quote, significantly altered many aspects of public labor relations in Missouri. And some of the key changes involved how labor organizations for public sector employees are chosen and retained. How would that have changed things for your members, for example? Well, fundamentally for not just the educators in the state of Missouri, uh, but for a lot of public sector unions, it would require a lot of red tape and burdensome paperwork simply for the idea of punishing them uh, for advocating for their members and often for the constituencies they serve. So for instance, um, members would have to reaffirm their desire to be in the union every year. So just imagine all the things you do in your life if every year you had to fill out another piece of paperwork for uh, just to continue getting the service that you expected to get a service you wanted. And that was really um, just about making it harder for teachers to maintain their union membership. Uh, Also, it required um, very strange election rules that are outside the norm of how we all think elections would uh, happen. So even if uh, a group of educators decided to come together and form a local union and won the election, you know, won the most votes in that election, there were still mechanisms where they could be denied their right to have a union. We're fortunate in Missouri that we have a very strong constitutional protection uh, for what's collective bargaining. We're one of only a handful of states in the country that has that. And that's a lot of what the court uh, thought about and referred to as it looked at 1413. But there was also some other strange provisions that really, um, I think when you look at it objectively, were kind of, you know, to be frank about just asking educators to shut up. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one provision that said, Uh, educators couldn't form a picket line outside a school district uh, building. And so those are kind of the basic fundamental attacks that 1413 had on uh, the rights of Missourians in general to express their First Amendment uh, rights, but also on uh, workers who are protected by our Constitution by strong, very strong collective bargaining a line in the Constitution. So it feels like a big part, if not the the only major part of what the courts reacted to in this law is the fact that it sort of separated public sector unions into two different classes, one that involved people like your union and one that involved public safety unions. Was there ever mm-hmm. any rationale for treating the public safety unions and basically saying, hey, you're exempted from all these things we're going to make all these other unions do? 
Um, fundamentally, I think if you go back and look at the legislative history, um, it really was about, um, you know, who could they get away with? And uh, they felt that attacking police officers and firefighters probably would not play well back home, but they thought they could get away with attacking teachers and other public sector workers. And so it was what they thought they could politically achieve. Um, you know, it's a shame, but the, you know, looking for strong logic in this legislation, I think is a fool's errand. This was really a politically motivated attack on a group of folks that often advocate and frankly point out when uh, the state legislature is not doing its job. And so uh, we've always viewed it that way. And uh, you're right in how the court interpreted um, the law. And, and fundamentally, the basic premise of law is you can't treat two people who do the same thing differently. And the court said, uh, you know, that's what's happening here. And it's fundamentally happening because you like one group and you don't like another. Yeah, um, and so you're, you're not, I mean, you're, you're definitely not overstating what the court said here. I mean, some of this <laughs> language, I'm, I'm going to read a quote from this ruling here. Uh, the court said, quote, the only effect and therefore the only evident purpose of the exemption for public safety labor organizations is to give preferential treatment to some labor organizations over others. For some reason other than those employees they represent, there is no rational basis for protecting public safety employees from most, if not all, of the new provisions in this law. In fact, the opposite is true. They point out that one part says, yeah, like, it, it, you know, you can't go on strike. Well, if public safety unions are, are even more important, that we need that continuity, as they tried to say in that law, well, then why would they be allowed to go on strike and other union members wouldn't? Well, and exactly. And, I, you know, for those of us who watch the court and often have to deal with these sort of legal issues, it's when the court makes very strong and bold statements, um, that's uh, something to pay attention to because it's a rare form for any court to make very strong declarative statements of that nature. Um, and really what we saw from 1413 the entire time um, was this was part and, you know, set some context. This was about the same time the right to work fight was happening in the state of Missouri. There was a slew of very um, focused attacks on middle-class Missourians and the labor unions that represent them. And, you know, I think we're looking now as that uh, that battle has ebbed uh, and flowed and maybe quieted down a little bit that um, at the end, fortunately, um, the courts protected the rights of Missourians and the people of the state of Missouri strongly supported um, our labor unions when uh, they sought to overturn uh, the right to work measure. And what I think I, you know, most Missourians agree upon is simply this. If you want to join a union, that should be your right. And um, we've always had a strong history in this state of letting people make up their own mind and make their choices. And it's very strange the legislature has decided, you know, tried to intervene in that process. Um, deciding to join a union, has, people do it for a whole host of reasons. Some want to be strong advocates for the cause and, and their profession. Other times it's about the benefits of union membership that comes with just simply having quality insurance offerings. So, um, you know, the real, though, takeaway is, you know, we saw some of our members, you know, particularly in St. Louis, um, Carmen Hill, who's a nurse in the St. Louis Public School District, uh, we were talking with her about it because, um, you know, she was, she was a strong advocate on this case and worked with us on this case. And, um, you know, she was just relieved because, you know, as a school nurse, particularly during COVID, a lot of her time has been spent advocating for the, to do what's right for the health and safety of students and staff rather than what's easy or maybe just cheap. And um, that that is the kind of advocacy that would have been taken away or harder to do under 1413. And in a lot of our school districts, um, you know, 1413 would have really restricted what 
what we could bargain over to the most bare bones items. And so, um, you know, obviously, you know, people aren't surprised that you bargain over things like pay and, and maybe benefits, but a lot of educators also care deeply about the resources that the school is deploying for kids with special needs, for us, you know, making sure technology, making sure there's enough staff. And those kind of items would have been, you couldn't bargain for them in a contract. So, it's really, you know, no one becomes a teacher thinking that they're going to drive a luxury car and go to a corner office. Um, you do it because you have a, a strong love for students and inspiring them to achieve their best. And um, when they bargain uh, for uh, in a contract, often those kind of issues are the ones that come to the front about how can we make sure that the district is doing what we as educators who are in the classroom every day with these kids that they're getting the resources that the district should be providing in a way that makes sense. And so, you know, I'm really proud of our members and the work they do uh, across the state day in, day out. Um, and I think, you know, especially during this time of COVID, a lot of folks have seen their school districts, their school employees, their teachers rise to the occasion. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this bill was simply a pointed attack at them and a bunch of other people who every day get up and try to make Missouri a better place for all of us to live in. You mentioned that you think um, just some of the attacks on unions have ebbed a bit in Jefferson City. Do you think Governor Mike Parson is less hostile to labor than Governor Eric Greitens was? I think uh, Governor Eric Greitens had a political agenda from day one, um, and I think most, uh, you know, it's not it's not hidden knowledge that um, he was looking at the governorship as a roadmap to running for president of the United States rather than being the governor of the state of Missouri. So I think he was much more interested in pleasing political donors than he was actually governing the state. Um, you know, Governor Parson, we don't always agree with, but Governor Parson has uh, spent his time in the legislature. He has a strong basis and understanding of the history and traditions of the state and why we why the law is set up the way it is. His uh, own family um, is uh, you know has history in t public school teaching, and so like I said, we don't always agree with the governor, but we at least have found that. Um, the governor's office has been open to uh, input and communication in a way that maybe Eric Greitens uh, wasn't, because I think Governor Parson in the day is much more interested in governing than he is um, pleasing a special interest train on the way to Washington, D.C. It's interesting, you know, as, as you detailed there, some of these attacks on unions that were going on in Jefferson City, I mean, they were caught, they were caught short. The voters said no, you know, they overturned mm -hmm. right to work. That was a huge victory for unions. Yet there haven't really been any consequences politically for the parties that push this stuff. Um, is that something that the unions intend to work on going forward, or is that a lost cause in Missouri where, where people have just other issues they care about and, and that makes them want to support Republicans? Well, I think, you know, um, partisanship is always a strange concept in the sense of um, it's a lot of issues rolled into one. Um, so when you have a ballot issue, you have voters are able to make a decision about one item. And mm -hmm. I think any voter would tell you that they don't agree with every politician that they voted for on every issue. Um, also, I think what's really happened, frankly, is, you know, fortunately, like in education, um, you know, education transcends, I think, a lot of the normal political and partisanship lines because we have very strong support in rural communities for public schools. We have very strong support in suburbs and, and even urban communities for our public schools. People understand the, the great gift that public schools are for Americans um, and how, how rare it is in this time to find something that is still uh, functioning so well as we see a lot of institutions 
in turmoil uh, because of COVID and everything else. Um, you know, I think it's fa it's fascinating during the whole COVID time of COVID that um, as a lot of public institutions and, and corporations were trying to figure out how to deal with it, our public schools really held the line and were one of the few places that um, immediately adapted to um, what we had to do to get through um, uh, the pandemic. So I think people have a lot of respect for the public schools. They have a lot of respect for their teachers because they know every day that they're they're they are handing their child to the to a teacher every day that they trust and and um they see that commitment from that teacher and those other educators in that building so we get treated i think um as overall a little differently um and i think because the conversation's a little easier for us also i think um, you've seen in labor particularly a strong effort to communicate what our goals are and break through maybe the easy uh, stereotypes that people come to the building with. Mm -hmm. And so I've found that most most people who come to Jeff City do so, they, they are trying to do a good job and they um, they believe in the cause that they are coming to do and the people they are coming to represent, the community they're coming to represent. And if you can sit down and have a conversation with 90% of them, um, you, you can find some way to have common ground. Doesn't mean we're always gonna you know agree with the outcome, but um, but there are people, you know, uh, who, who view Jefferson City as a stepping stone to a higher political office, and you'll often, those will be the ones that are the hardest to deal with. Well, Mark Jones, Communications Director for the Missouri National Education Association, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.